Hey guys, this is Aaron Green. Um, I'm here to talk today about a play called Collective Rage, a play in Five Betties by Jen Silverman. Um, one thing that definitely took me by surprise, as for those of you who may know me, you guys know that I'm not a big fan of uh, most pieces labeled as queer, but this one was just so beautifully chaotic that I gotta admit, it's probably one of the best plays I've read in the past couple years. I was thoroughly entertained, and I think you will be too, as we discuss the play a little bit more. So, the theme I'll be focusing on today will be the range of experiences that are portrayed in relation to basically an entire spectrum of queer or non-straight women in the common friend group of women who are not straight. So many people ask, what exactly do I mean about that? So to put it simply, um, collective rage of play of five Bettys. The five Bettys represent this dynamic friend group that every lesbian, bisexual, or anything in between or different, any queer woman has experienced in her lifetime. I am going to be going into how this play literally takes the life of self-actualization, the cycle of it, that women in each role usually go through in a long time, you know, usually it takes a long time, they manage to go through the entire thing rapidly in this play. It is the cultivation of the life cycle of each of these types of queer or queer-adjacent women. Alright, so I'm going to quickly discuss how the Bettys get to know each other. Starts off with Betty 1 and 2 having a dinner party. They invite Betty 3 that they met at Sephora when she used to work at Sephora. She comes, says some inappropriate things. She gets uninvited and decides to have her own dinner party where she invites her old friend Betty number 4 and her new friend Betty number 2. Afterwards, Betty number 4 goes hang out with her old friend Betty number 5. And they work on their trucks. Betty number five is the owner of a boxing gym that Betty number one decides to go to after she gets really fed up with her husband and wants to hit something. Eventually, they all get pulled into a play that Betty number three wants to create after going see a play at theater with a straight married woman whose husband wasn't home. The play that she went see is A Midsummer's Night Dream, which inside that play, there's the play of Pyramus and Thisbe. This is the play that... Um, Betty, number three, wants to put on, and she casts Betty, number five, as the wall, Betty, number four, as the prologue, Betty, number two, as, um, the lion, Betty, number one, as Moonshine, and then she plays all the main characters of Pyramus, Thisbe, and anybody else who is an actual key component to the play. But she never comes up with any script, so she just everybody basically just spitballs the whole time, leading to a lot of the situations you see in the play. Most of the action revolves around the rehearsals of the play, or, you know, what happens after the rehearsals, or whenever they're trying to figure out the script. And 
in that way, the play is kind of what holds the whole, you know, the inner play is what hold the, holds the outer play together. Now I'm going to introduce the character, characters to you quickly. So let's start off with Betty number one. You first see her hosting a dinner party with Betty number two. Um, Betty number one starts off as a very stressed, uptight, heterosexual housewife that hates her husband but isn't quite ready to express it yet. Um, Throughout the play, she gets closer to Betty number five, specifically because she begins going to the boxing gym that Betty number five owns to get get rid of her rage that she feels towards her husband. Um, her and Betty Five end up getting closer and closer to one another and flirting, and they end up making out while both dressed as Betty Number One's husband in drag. I know it sounds a little crazy, but I promise it makes a lot of sense when you read it on how they get there, and I'll go more into that later. I refer to Betty Number One as the Spaghetti Girl. Um, I don't know if any of you guys, I'm not going to tell you the whole thing, but if you know the joke, you know, a girl says, oh, I'm straight, and then the lesbian will say, well, so is spaghetti until blank, that's what I'm referring to, you know. Nowadays, it's considered inappropriate to make that joke, and I completely agree, but Betty is actually the example of the joke that would actually exist. So, Betty number two is Betty number one's friend. You meet at, you meet her at Betty number one's dinner party. She's very sexually repressed, and you never quite find out her own, like, her actual sexuality. It very well could be straight and just repressed, but, um, she's what I refer to as your friend that is either having a nervous breakdown or living her best life. Everyone has that friend that is completely off the rails at times, and you can't tell whether she's loving it or just completely losing her mind, and that's what Betty number two does. She feels alone a lot. You know, she, even though she's invited to the next dinner party, she doesn't really fit in very well with them. She isn't invited to as many things as some of the others. So she talks to a hand puppet she makes a lot. And she slowly, you know, at the second dinner party, she discovers a little bit more about herself that slowly leads to her getting this desire to better understand and know herself and you know that's we'll go into that again later but she does some really interesting things during her journey betty number three betty number three is the doe bisexual which is the bisexual version of a femme lesbian that heavily leans towards women but is very self-centered she goes to a play at the theater with a straight married woman when the woman's husband isn't there and then she decides that she would be the best actress writer director producer ever and she acts like she is the celebrity authority on the issue um in turn this hurts her friends as well as her not relationship with betty number four who has a crush on her i refer to betty number three as the one who's really attractive until she opens her mouth meanwhile betty number four is a butch lesbian who has a crush on Betty number three. She always goes to Betty number three's events. She supports her in all her dreams, but she, you know, she very obviously has that crush she can't let go of, which is what her and Betty number five talk about quite often when they hang out together as they are both very butch lesbians 
Betty number four is a regular butch lesbian, with Betty number five being a genderqueer, butch-aligned lesbian. But Betty's number four's main thing is her crush on Betty number three. I call her the representation of what would happen if baby dykes never grew up. Every baby dyke has that crush that's unrequited on a fellow friend, whether that friend is straight or lesbian or bisexual, usually straight or bisexual, that they struggle to let go of. And this usually happens in middle school or high school. But in Betty number four's case, it's happening as an adult. And then you have Betty number five, which I mentioned already is a genderqueer, butch-aligned lesbian. Um, She's described as all the straight girls wanting her and all the gay girls wanting her. She's cool with feminine pronouns and, you know, she describes herself as a lesbian despite being genderqueer. Um, she gives very Shane-ish vibes. A little bit more butch than Shane, because Shane, pull, you know, if you ever watched the L Word, Shane is a bit of a, you know, a pretty boy-esque lesbian. But she's got that everyone wants me, including the straight girls vibe. Betty number five's thing is learning to express herself a bit more as the main Thing that starts this is her crush on Betty number one and her suddenly realizing just how much emotion she holds back in her regular life. So coming up, we will explore all five of these Bettys and their self-actualization throughout the drama. So let's talk about Betty number one, the spaghetti Betty. So Betty begins as somebody who isn't really close to anybody. Betty number two is her closest friend, and she doesn't even recognize anything about Betty two's life. She thinks Betty two has kids. Betty two does not have any kids. This is the kind of conversation they have, and this is how close they get to having an actual conversation at the beginning of the drama. Betty number one says, well, I've been so stressed out. I've just been feeling a lot of stress and I came home and Richard's assistant had gotten me a gift card for a massage. Richard told his assistant to get me a gift card for a massage. Isn't that thoughtful? Well, she sounds grateful. She's actually really not happy with Richard being unable to actually do these acts of service for her or do these things of kindness for her himself. He has to get his assistant to do it. This is, the, this is one of the many examples of why she has problems with him. But she has to act like it's fine because she's trying to be the perfect housewife. It is not until she meets Betty number five that this begins to change. You know, they're in the play together, but first they meet at the boxing gym. And they meet there and she goes through and she talks to Betty number five about her frustrations with her husband and she'll rant and she'll punch and she she gets stronger as she does the punching and then finally after a while she begins to recognize exactly what's going on on page 94 to 95 you get this rant where she's finally recognizing what's going on with betty number five Betty number one says, I was watching the news this morning and there was a series of interviews with housewives who have AIDS. And then I was watching the news and there was a feature on housewives who have cats with feline AIDS. And then I was watching the news and there was a special report on housewives whose husbands all secretly have AIDS. And then Richard came home and said, you look anxious, are you all right? And I said, I'm going to the gym, Richard. And I went to the gym and instantly I felt better. And yesterday my cab driver was rude to me and I said, take me to the gym. And the day before, the teenage girl at the grocery store judged me with her eyes, and I said, actually, I won't take those salted caramels. I'm on my way to the gym.
And this evening, Richard said, I'll be coming home late tonight. And I said, well, I'll be coming home late too tonight, actually, because I will be at the gym. I just love hitting things. I just love it. I want to hit everything with my fist and with my feet and with my eyes. And that is what's going to make me a very good actor when I play the role of Moonshine, because I will stare at all of the audience members and hit them with my eyes. Betty is my boxing coach, and she is also very strange and very interesting. And also, she's a lesbian. Oh, wait, correction. Male type gender lesbian. Wait, correction. Gender non-conforming male type queer person. And also, she might be the only person on this earth who understands me. And even if she doesn't, I still feel better when she's around. It is after this that the two begin to really start flirting, which eventually cultivates in uh, Betty number one inviting Betty number five over for a sleepover. And apparently Betty number five has never had a sleepover before with another woman. So they're discussing what they do at sleepovers. And one thing mentioned other than making out, which they both blushed at but didn't act upon immediately, was playing dress up. It's noted that Betty number five would not fit into Betty number one's clothes, so they both decide to dress up using Richard's clothes. Thus, when they go to the final rehearsal for Betty number three's play, they both show up dressed as Richard. We will finish the story of Betty number one. And what happens after they come in wearing Richard's clothes when discussing Betty number five. Now we will move on to Betty number two. So Betty number two begins the tale being borderline ignored by Betty number one at Betty number one's dinner party. She then goes to Betty number three's dinner party where they're discussing rowdy things like fighting and sex. And Betty number two is just not doing a good job on relating. And finally... She discusses herself a little bit, and this is a great description of her at the beginning of the drama. She says, on page 35-36, If somebody pushes me, I say sorry, even though I was the one who got pushed. And whenever I ask somebody to do anything for me, even if they're like a waiter, I say sorry, even if it's their job. And then after they've done it, or even before they've done it, or actually even if they never do it at all, I say thank you. And then Betty number three comments on this by saying, And she's not having sex. And that is how the next portion happens, which really opens up Betty number two's eyes to things. They have her grab a mirror and look at her vagina because she's never done so before. And she panics. She goes on page 41. What if it's ugly? What if there's teeth? What if it's lopsided? What if it's lumpy or flat or geometrically displeasing? Or what if I don't have one at all and there's just a small animal who lives there like a lizard or a dwarf hamster and all I see are the gleam of its little eyes as it stares back up at me? Luckily, this does not happen. But then Betty number two gets rather enamored with staring at her own vagina. This is her attempts at self-actualizing. Um, in Betty number three's play, Betty number two is supposed to play a lion. So... Whenever she is supposed to be learning about her role, she's supposed to watch a documentary on a lion. She spends the entire time glaring at her vagina and then decides that she's going to have a dinner party, but not as herself, as a lion. At this dinner party, which is also their last rehearsal, 
Betty number two gives several toasts that show that she's finally begun to accept herself after many discussions with her hand puppet and many hours of looking at her own vagina. The first toast on page 139 goes, I want to give a toast to friends and to lesbians and to the Bettys who perform in the theater and to the Betty who could not be here tonight but in whose honor I am throwing this dinner party. You see, Betty is the epitome of perfection. Betty is the love of my life and a crystalline example of devotion. Betty is a rock and I am limp an limpet of adoration. I want to live underneath her ribs so I can hug her heart all the time. That's just how I feel about Betty. To Betty! In this part, she's referring to herself... But from the point of view of the lion, she is either pretending to be or believes she is. The next toast that she makes is on page 141. I also want to talk about Betty's pussy. It's a perfect object, like a small clock or a marzipan fruit or something very precise and unusual and unreplicable. It could be at a museum, in a box or on a shelf or behind glass or none of those things at all. Maybe on a tall post so it could be viewed without some kind of barrier separating it from the audience. Betty's pussy is an artifact of perfection. To Betty! And then finally, page 142, her final toast. This is either when she fully self-actualizes or completely loses her mind. I still am not sure, and I don't think anyone is supposed to be sure. More than a toast, I want to say to Betty and her pussy, Charles went to bed when you and your pussy were awake. Charles never understood the importance of the Serengeti until you and your pussy, and he still may not. Charles is a sad, sad man. He doesn't know that happiness is an important thing. And I'm sorry for that. And I'm sorry that he never told you that happiness was important. And I'm sorry that your pussy had to be the one to tell you that. But I'm glad somebody did. To Betty's pussy! As you can see, Betty number two self-actualizes as well and learns her own importance and learns not to be scared of her sexuality. Whether or not she is sane enough to truly reap the benefits of her self-actualization is another debate that I do not have the time to get into on this podcast. We will now move on to Betty number three. Betty number three and Betty number four actually go through the process of self-actualization together. Betty number four is a woman of little words and only mentions her crush on Betty number three to Betty number five in passing when working on her truck. Betty number three, on the other hand, is very self-centered, and this is just a snippet of some of the things she talks about. On page 96, this is her one of her discussions she has. So today's Monday, and my personal assistant got me coffee, and I'm thinking about the latest brand I'm going to launch called Star. For stars, it might be a perfume or a maxi pad, and I'm working on my latest project, which is a play in the theater. And I'm directing it and starring in it. I just think it says a lot about community and diversity and respect and homelessness and children in Israel and Palestine, but not overtly. And it's also a love story, and love is very important. This is just a snippet of the kind of things she talks about. And the whole time, she is acting this self-important and self-righteous And Betty number four is just getting more and more aggravated with her. Their stories are very simple. And it is not until Betty number four, who is told to play the prologue in the play, gives the prologue. They tell her to just say whatever she wants. A prologue is a speech before a play. And this play is something that they're just making up. There is no script. That's Betty number three's genius. Well, Betty number four says, Betty, 
Speaking to Betty number three, she says, Betty, I know who you are, and I listen when you talk, and I think you're pretty, and I think you're smart, and the thing is, everybody loving you is actually the same thing as nobody loving you. If you want to make theta, you can make theta, and if you want to change, I guess that's okay too, but you should know that I love you, even when I hate crush you, and you don't have to love me back in the same way, but I think you should come for a ride in my truck. And this is the thing that I want to say to you before everything else happens, which I guess makes this my prologue. But also, the theta is breaking my heart. This is Betty number four's self-actualization. She's actually speaking, actually being direct and saying what she needs to say. This is something that the baby dyke never does until they're ready to stop being a baby dyke. Meanwhile, Betty number three has her self-actualization by reversing her usual montage of self-discussion and narcissism. By responding with, okay. On page 144, this happens. And she agrees to go ride in Betty number four's truck with very little words. And for once, she's actually doing more thinking than speaking. She's finally beginning to recognize that her actions have consequences on those around her and that she is hurting people. This is something that not all girls who are attractive until they open their mouths ever realize. Most of them eventually become, they're too old to be really that attractive because they haven't taken care of themselves. And now they're even worse when they open their mouth instead of becoming a good person like Betty number three seems to be leaning towards doing. And now we are on to Betty number five. So... When Betty number five and Betty number one are having their sleepover and playing dress up as Richard, Betty number five starts talking for the first time, starts actually giving a monologue when usually she doesn't say much at all. Her monologue, which is on pages 127 to 128, goes as such. I've been thinking a lot about being a wall, about how I know a lot more than I thought I knew about being a wall, because I kind of go through life like a wall. A lot of the times when I'm walking down the street and asshole guys yell shit at me, I pretend my face is a wall. Or when other Betty with the truck Betty is sad and I don't know what to say. Or when my best friend in prison was like, I can't be your best friend. And I was like, why not? And she was like, you fingered me in the shower. And I was like, yeah, but you wanted me to. And she was like, yeah, I thought I wanted to, but afterwards I wish I hadn't. And now we can't be best friends. I pretended I was a wall then too. And I think that maybe I'm actually really, really good at being a wall, and walls are things that people lean against, so maybe that's a good thing. And I don't think I ever would have realized that if I wasn't in a play in the theater where I had to be a wall. So maybe the theater isn't for faggy gay pansy boys after all, but maybe it still is. I haven't made up my mind about that entirely. Here she's recognizing. She's never let herself really feel. She's always kind of been a player because she's been afraid of it. And she's opening up to Betty number one because for once she's actually feeling. And while nothing happens while they're initially playing dress up, in the next scene, which is Betty number two's dinner party where she's aligned and also Betty number three's rehearsal for her play, the following happens. Betty number one and Betty number five start pretending to be Richard while dressed as Richard while rehearsing. They go back and forth saying things like, I like your jawline, Richard, old chap. I confess I find your shoulders astonishing. However, Richard, I have a thought. What's that, Richard? Or perhaps it's more of an observation. 
Go on, wretched old chap, please. You have an eyelash. An eyelash? Right there. Right where? Come here, Richard. And then they kiss and make out as the Richards. This is on page 140, if you're curious. So, dressed as Betty number one's husband, Betty number one and Betty number two, finally have that moment where they recognize that they're into each other. They then exit to go do what I assume is most likely sexual. But it is through this relationship that they self-actualize. And it is through the relationship between Betty's three and four that those two Betty self-actualize. And Betty number two self-actualizes through her relationship with herself. So this concludes my chaotically fast, somewhat rambling, potentially confusing podcast on the five Bettys. I don't think I could have made it less confusing because if you have five characters all named the same thing, you're asking for trouble. I highly recommend you look into this play. I found it very entertaining. A lot of characters, specifically Betty number five, Betty number four, and at times, Betty number one, Betty number two, and Betty number three is the only one I couldn't relate to at all, but the rest of them all reminded me of myself at various times in my life. And they all definitely reminded me of some friends and I's relationships with one another in the past around middle school and high school. And I think whether you're straight or gay or a man or a woman, you will find one, at least one battle that you relate to in this because we're all trying to self-actualize whether it's learning to speak up for ourselves learning to talk about ourselves a little less you know learning to just be a little bit more open with one another learning to love ourselves to be with somebody we actually want to be with or learning to love ourselves without anyone there at all or becoming a lion that strips down and has your own dinner party where you talk about your genitals We're all on this path, and I think that's why it's such a relatable play. I really hope you guys will look into it. I really enjoyed it, and I will now stop harassing you with my voice. Goodbye.